Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew 17, 24 to 27. Listen for what God is saying to you. When they came to Capernaum, the people who collected the half-shekel temple tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. But when they came into the house, Jesus spoke to Peter first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect taxes? From their children or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Jesus said to him, then the children don't have to pay. But just so we don't offend them, go to the lake, throw out a fishing line and a hook, and take the first fish you catch. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. May God add a blessing to our understanding of this reading from the scripture. Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, like Pastor Emily said, my name is Paul Hom. I'm the Church Start resident uh, for Urban Village Church, and I'm serving at Wicker Park, but it is my absolute pleasure to be here with all of you this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for gathering us here in this, at this place. We believe that you have called each and every one of us here, not only to be in this place, to learn, to grow, but that you are calling us to be your servants and your disciples. So we ask that as we examine this ancient passage, that we might be able to see how it is absolutely relevant for us here and now today. And so we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, like Emily said, I'm the Church Start resident at Urban Village Church for this year. And... A little bit about myself. My father is a retired United Methodist Church pastor, and I grew up on the East Coast primarily. I moved around a lot, but I call New York City my home. I grew up in Brooklyn and Queens. I lived there from about fourth grade until high school, and some people ask me why I don't speak with a New York accent, and I think in the last 10 or 15 years, I've lost it, but if I'm honest with myself and I listen to the way that I talk when I was 16 or 17, there is definitely... I definitely didn't talk the way that I do right now. There's a lot of uh, New York teenage slang coming out. Um, I've been a pastor in the United Methodist Church for about 12 years, and uh, just serving the traditional church. I used to wear a robe every single Sunday, doing the communion and, and serving in very traditional settings. I came to Urban Village Church because when I heard about this church that was bold, inclusive, and relevant, I thought, oh, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to work. And so I talked to my wife about it, and she gave me the nod and the go-ahead. And so it is absolutely my pleasure to be here at Urban Village Church. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, my dad, he was appointed to serve at this large uh, mega church in Flushing, New York. I think they had about close to 1,000 people. And because the church was rapidly growing, they needed to expand their facilities. 
And so they embarked on this huge building campaign. And from the top to the bottom, they wanted everyone to give to this church building campaign. So even as a fourth, fifth grader at Sunday school, our children's pastor, they would just preach and say, hey, kids, you guys should give too. And so the way that they put it, to quantify it for our little minds, they said, one dollar will equal to one brick for the church building. Now, even in my small mind, I thought to myself, um, that's really expensive. I'm pretty sure bricks don't cost one dollar. <laughs> Otherwise, building prices would be astronomical. And just, so, uh, just to confirm, I looked up online, uh, one brick at Home Depot or Lowe's costs 79 cents, and that's if you're buying at retail. So if you're buying construction or bulk, I'm sure it costs a lot less than 79 cents, and we're already talking 25 years ago, so I'm sure a brick probably cost like 49 cents back then. But it was just a way so that even the kids would feel like they were involved in the building project of the church. And so that every single $1 that we put into the plate was going to the building of God's house. That particular Christmas, my grandparents, they gave me $20 for Christmas. For fourth, fifth grade student, 20 bucks, that's a lot of money. And we're already talking 25 years ago. So I began thinking and dreaming of all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys that I wanted to buy and the G.I. Joes and all the cool stuff and all the pizza that I wanted to buy. But my parents, especially my mom, urged me to consider what I would do with that gift and how I can give that gift to the building of God's house, how I can give that as an offering to God. And what I mean that my mom urged me, she pretty much made me. And so reluctantly, that one Sunday, that $20 bill that I had, I put it into the offering plate. And I try to tell myself that I was, I was giving to God, that I was doing this for God, that I was building something for God's house, that it was a, a great purpose beyond my own, as much as my little mind could comprehend. But I remember distinctly thinking, when my dad gets moved to another church, I am going to chisel out 20 bricks out of that wall, and I'm going to take it with me. Right? 20 bricks. Because I think the lesson that I learned that particular Sunday was that God needs our money. That's the lesson that I learned, that God wants my money, that God deserves my money. And that what I have, I have to give it to God. Because God, you know, otherwise how's God going to build God's house? Uh, I couldn't be farther from the truth. That message that I'd learned back, way back then, that was totally not the truth. And I want to say that I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only person that, who ever grew up in the church got that message. That we have to give things to God. In our scripture reading today, it says that two tax collectors came to Peter and they asked him, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, in our English translation of the Bible, and in the NIV and the CEB, it says, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? However, in the original Greek, there is actually no mention of the temple. They simply ask, does your teacher not pay the two drachma or the half shekel tax? And Peter says, yeah, uh, I guess he does. But then he goes to Jesus and he says, you know, what's going on? Like, do we pay this tax or not? 
Something interesting to note is that scholars believe that there was a two drachma or half shekel temple tax that people used to pay in Jesus' time that would go to the temple of Jerusalem. However, by the time that the Gospel of Matthew was written and being circulated, the Temple of Jerusalem was already destroyed. It was destroyed around the year 70, I believe. I think there's a lot of seminarians and scholars here who are far more knowledgeable than I am. So by the time people are reading Matthew, there is no temple. But interestingly, the Roman Empire that ruled that entire region, they still taxed the Israelites the half shekel or two drachma tax. And whatever they taxed would go towards the temple of Jupiter. And they still taxed the people because it was a reminder to these people that you are a subjugated people. That you are not sovereign, that you don't have control over yourself, but that you are enslaved to us. And let me say, those taxes that you pay, it's not like in the U.S. where you you pay taxes and, you know, it gets equally distributed among all people. No, that tax money went straight to Rome and it fortified those who are living in power. And so Jesus, he begins uh, examining the system of power and he answers Peter by asking him a question in the typical way that Jesus does. He says, the kings of this earth, do they tax their own sons or they, do they tax strangers? It's a rhetorical question. And Peter says, well, of course kings of this earth tax strangers. They don't tax their own sons. And so Jesus says, then the sons are exempted. Now, I need to pause right here because there is this long line of theological interpretation that said, if the sons are exempt, then what Jesus is telling us is that Christians, followers of Jesus, are exempt from paying the temple tax. Or if you're Jewish, you're exempt from paying the tax to Rome. Or that because we are spiritually right, because we are believers and we are the right ones, we don't have to pay these temple taxes, that we are exempt. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is pointing to is the reality that kings and systems of oppression of those who are in power will always take from other people, and they will not take from their own, but they will take from other people, not for the purposes of the common good, but they will always take to serve themselves. So to pay a tax in this reality, don't get it wrong, we're not living in 21st century United States of America. To pay a tax back then acknowledged subjugation and instilled a helpless mentality of oppression. It was an inescapable reality. Because it's not like you don't pay your tax and the IRS may or may not come after you. Someone's going to knock down your door. They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to sell your kids. Uh, They're going to throw you in prison until your children get sold as slaves and they repay those taxes. This is where the story gets really interesting. Around the time that the Gospel of Matthew is being circulated... Um, maybe after the year 100-ish, there was a Roman poet named Marcus Valerius Martialis, or better known as Marshall for short. And he had this poem, and it's just an excerpt from a poem, and he talked about how the emperor Domitian at the time wielded so much power and authority that the emperor had this pond. And inside this pond 
were all these fish. And every single fish in this pond had a name. And because the emperor was so powerful that when the emperor would call the names of the fish, that the fish would come to the emperor. I mean, whether that was true or not is regardless. The point is, this is how much power that the emperor yielded. Absolute sovereign authority, not only over his people, but even the subjugated people. So this was a common poem throughout the Roman land that people would have known. And then Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, tells Peter, go out with a line and a hook, throw it into the water, and you'll catch a fish. And inside that fish's mouth, you're going to find a four drachma coin or a shekel. That will be enough to pay for your taxes and my own. Wait a second. I thought absolute power to control nature to control the fish, to summon them, I thought that was reserved for those who are sitting high and mighty on the throne. I thought that was reserved for those who yielded political, military, religious authority. And here we have this story of this homeless rabbi. And he says, no, 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 no. Go put your line out into the water. And that fish will provide for you and for me. What a strange and bizarre story. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Trey, the site pastor at Wicker Park, and I said, I've never preached on this passage before. And he says, neither have I, and neither has any other pastor ever in the world. And I was like, whose idea was it to preach on this passage? And Trey was like, it was mine. And I was like, thanks a lot. It's a bizarre passage. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is pointing to this reality that kings and systems and institutions of this world do not yield the absolute authority that we have been told, but that it is God. But see, here's the difference between kings and systems. Kings and systems of oppression will always demand and take from us to serve themselves. But this God that will provide a four drachma coin from the mouth of a fish is not here to take and demand anything from us. But this is a God that is here to provide for us. Here's the crazy story. As I was thinking about this sermon and as I was exegeting and writing down, I thought, well, wait a second. It's a little BS. If God is so powerful and can you know, bring a fish and a coin in the mouth, then why doesn't God just do away with systems of oppression? Why doesn't God, with God's mighty hand, just smite all of those evil, uh, violent you know, people in authority? And I think that's, that's, that's my wish. That's my hopeful thinking. But I think this scripture reading is a better reflection of reality. Because Jesus is pointing to the reality that not only do the people of that time, not only he himself, but every single one of us here and now today in the United States of America, all over the world, in the Middle East or in Paris or in, in Africa or in Asia, that we still live under the rule and the oppression of systems of power and violence. The world has not changed very much in 2,000 years. And the way of Jesus will subvert that power 
that force of oppression. But the way of Jesus is never using the tools that the world uses. The way of Jesus is not through might. It's not through violence. It's not going to be by causing this uh, rebellion that is going to cost people's lives. But Jesus offers a powerful new way to subvert that reality. Oh, yeah? I got to pay this tax? Oh, I'll pay this tax. But you better believe that you're not taking anything from me because it is the God that rules all things, that commands all things. It is this God which provides generously not only for the rich, but for the poor, for the homeless rabbis. I'll pay with that. I'll pay where that's coming from. What a powerful way to say that we live in this reality, but this reality does not take hold over us. I read, um, no, I didn't read, I heard this thing on NPR. It was on StoryCorps. It was a story about a young woman, her, not young anymore. Her name was Storm Reyes, and she lived in Spokane, Washington. She was the child of a migrant farmer, which means to say that she herself was a migrant farmer. She said, by the time she was eight years old, she was already on the fields picking fruit. She had learned how to fight with a knife before she'd learned how to ride a bike. She lived in absolute poverty. She didn't, she, she felt like her life was trapped and that she could not break free from that reality. Until one day, she said, where she was picking uh, fruit in the field, a bookmobile showed up. And so at first, she was kind of hesitant because she was not allowed to own books because books are heavy. And when your family is migrating season to season to season, you're not allowed to carry anything heavy. But luckily, one of the peoples in the book, uh, bookmobile, they saw Storm and they called her over and they asked her, well, what are you interested in? And because she's living in the Pacific Northwest, she, she said she was afraid of, uh, I think, Mount Rainier, the volcano that blew up. So she said she was afraid of volcanoes. And this person told her, the more you know about something, the less you will be afraid of it. And so they gave her a book about volcanoes. And then she devoured that book. Then they gave her a book about dinosaurs. And then she devoured that book. So that when she was 15 years old, she was finally able to leave that migrant farm. And then she would go on to be a librarian for the next 30 years in one of the public libraries. Here's the reality. There are still underpaid, exploited migrant workers. There are still systems of oppression at work. And it's not, gonna, it's not necessarily going to be by the power of might and force and violence that those systems are going to change. But it's going to be in creative, wonderful ways that we do not see with our eyes, that we cannot perceive, but that God is moving mysteriously through ways, I don't know, like a coin in a fish's mouth, that will enable us to not only break free from those systems of oppression, but that will give us hope. Like Drew said this morning, that it's getting better. It's getting better. I don't know about you. I consider myself a realist. My wife tells me that it's actually code word for pessimist. <laughs> it's hard for me to stay hopeful. Not only on a macro level, like we think, uh, hear about what happened in Paris this week. But it's not just Paris. It's Beirut. It's Lebanon. It's Syria. It's in Africa. It's in Chicago. 
I think about the hopelessness of this world. I think about, you know, where am I going to be in five years? I think about the hopelessness of that. And it's so easy to be discouraged. It's so easy to think I am absolutely locked and trapped into this situation where I have now. And the message for Jesus is today. You know what? Go cast that line into the water. If you will step out in faith, then God, who controls all things, that God is not here to take anything from you, that God is here to provide for you. I'm not talking about some juju magic where if you pray, then God is going to send a check in the mail. Praise God if that happens, right? But it may be in ways like a bookmobile. It may be in ways that we, uh, we just can't comprehend right now. But we got to stay hopeful. And we have to say, yes, God, I entrust that you are in control of all things. Um, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to say one last thing because I, I have the soapbox and I can do it. Um, Pastor Emily was in the, the, the Detroit Annual Conference uh, this past week. That's actually my home conference. That's where I'm from. That's where my ordination is. And let me tell you, what she's talking about, she is speaking truth. That there is nothing like Urban Village Church in the Detroit Annual Conference. And so even in the Detroit Annual Conference, there are a lot of pastors that are looking to Urban Village Church, its pastors, and more importantly, to each and every one of you for leadership and for vision to see where does the church need to go into the future. So you guys are doing powerful work. A couple weeks ago, I was in uh, California for a church conference, and I had the opportunity to meet about 15 United Methodist Church pastors. I told them that I worked at Urban Village Church, and I told them about being bold, inclusive, and relevant, how we are not only working to be a multiracial but also anti-racist church. Their jaws just dropped. And they thought, we, cannot, we, we can't believe that a church like this would exist. And so... Urban Village Church, more importantly, my brothers and sisters, my friends who are here this day, you are subverting the system. You are doing great and important, powerful work. Faith and Finance Series, you're not giving to a building. I don't promise you any bricks, right? You are giving to a cause that is pushing the boundaries, that is changing lives. And that is leading the way not only for your own lives here in Chicago, but all across the U.S. and in the world. So thank you for being you, and thank you for letting me share this space with you. Please join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, we come before you on this day. Some of us are living really comfortably, and some of us are barely struggling to make ends meet each day. But God, regardless of where we are on that economic spectrum, each and every one of us has been gifted, has been talented, and has been resourced to subvert the systems that oppress. That you have called each and every single one of us to be not only your followers, but to be your disciples, to do the work that you do, to continually fight, for greater freedom, for greater inclusion, for greater love, grace, peace, and understanding. And God, we know that we don't do it on our own strength. We know that we don't do it with our limited resources and our limited understanding. Help us to tap into that great pool of wisdom and knowledge and strength that only comes from you. And so we give thanks 
And we ask that the spirit of, that the power of your Holy Spirit would continually speak to us even as we walk out from this place. And so we give uh, all thanks to your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.